Hello, Hillside Church. Welcome to this podcast that is for April 5th, 2020. What an unbelievable impact this coronavirus has had on our world, hasn't it? Several days ago, the president said he hoped things could start moving back toward normal by Easter. Well, then he had to extend all of the extreme measures of care and social distancing to the end of April. Then at some point in that time frame, he warned that these next two weeks would be very, very tough weeks for our nation. In the meantime, most major events that so many look forward to have had to be canceled. And those cancellations can be very disappointing for so many because they were of all types. And some people have worked very, very hard to enjoy those events. Major milestone events that we would never have dreamed would have been uh, canceled have now been cut off and they're just not going to happen. And all during this, we hear the repeated saying, we are all in this together. But with all of the disappointing news, the president has also repeated that he's confident good news lies ahead. He's convinced the economy will turn around again, it will strengthen, continue to strengthen, and even maybe become stronger than it was when the virus started. Who knows for certain but it is encouraging to hear a very experienced businessman saying positive things about uh, a recovery. And you know, I see all of this as very interesting when you look at the time of the year that this is happening. Because we have been looking at the life of Jesus, and this is the time of year we follow him as he nears the cross. And in the gospel accounts, it's at this time he begins to speak to his disciples concerning his upcoming betrayal, suffering, and death. In Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised again. Now, the disciples don't know what to do with this. Peter even takes Jesus aside and assures him, Lord, this will never happen to you. And really what he is saying there is, I'll make certain it doesn't. And then this is the time that Jesus responds so strongly. He looks at Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. And really the meaning is, God's will is that he goes through the suffering and he goes to the cross. And we know that Satan is always out to thwart God's will and to thwart God's people. And then Jesus, after having said that he would be captured, beaten, and killed, says that just as he is willing to sacrifice his life to follow the will of God, so too anyone else who wants to be a follower of him must also be willing to sacrifice or give up their lives to follow the will of God. And what he means is that 
anything that would keep a person from turning to Christ for salvation or following him in their life, having come to salvation, anything like family, job, wealth, popularity, persecution, all of those things that could keep us from coming to Christ or living for Christ, they must be cast aside for the sake of following Christ. And it's not that we cast aside every single thing, but it's if it's keeping us from coming to him or following him, that has to be cast aside in our lives. So Jesus is saying some very serious things to his disciples. He is saying that he is going to be beaten and killed. And he is saying that anyone who wants to be his follower must also be willing to face whatever it takes in order to follow him. Now, he does say right along with those things that he will rise again on the third day. But that part doesn't seem to register with the disciples. All of their words and actions after this don't seem to include that thought that he was also going to rise from the dead. And in fact, when he did rise, the disciples didn't believe it at first. They had to be convinced over a period of days. So as you can imagine, the disciples at this time, when Jesus is telling of these you know, dark things that are going to happen, they are very sad and confused and unsure. They don't know how to fit it into their picture of what Jesus came to do. And it's like our society at this time of uncertainty. But then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. He says, For the Son of Man, and what he's talking about is we must be willing to give up our lives to follow him. He says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. <clears throat> He's talking about after the suffering. And that's even greater than the economy roaring back, isn't it? After telling them he will be beaten and killed, and that they also must be willing to, be, to, uh, to, to suffer, he says he is going to return to the earth in the overwhelming brightness and glory of God the Father himself, accompanied by powerful heavenly angels, to give out rewards to all his faithful followers according to what they have done. Now that news in itself is overwhelming, if we could even come close to imagining what it really would be like. And that will be Christ coming back with the armies of heaven, to destroy the armies of the earth who will have gathered at that point in Jerusalem or at, at Jerusalem to stop, to try to stop Christ's return as if that could be even possible. And Christ will obliterate his enemies with a word and reward his faithful followers and establish his eternal kingdom. Now that is some good news in the midst of some pretty frightening words but it isn't over yet. Jesus says one more thing. Verse 28 in chapter 16, he says, Truly I tell you, 
some of some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. <clears throat> wow. It sounds as though Christ's kingdom will come before all of them die. Now think of how excited they must be to hear that. Let's say the disciples are in the age range of 20s, 30s, possibly 40s, but probably more of 20s and 30s. That would mean the kingdom would be coming within the next 50 years or so. You know, ballparking it. Well, maybe, maybe not. You see, Jesus has given the hard news of his death. He's told them they also must be willing to give their lives if they want to be his true followers. He then talks about light at the end of the tunnel where he is going to return to set up his kingdom. And they will be greatly rewarded for their faithfulness to him. And some of them standing there will actually see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. But that last part is the sticking point, isn't it? We are way beyond 50 years or so. Jesus has not come back to set up his kingdom. All of the disciples have tasted death centuries ago. What gives? Well, it's in chapter 17. You know, in the original writings of the scriptures, there were no chapter divisions. In this chapter 17, the first part follows exactly on the heels of those last verses in chapter 16. Listen to the first three verses of Matthew 17. It's right after Jesus talks about him coming in his kingdom. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now remember, Jesus said some standing there would see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the fulfillment six days later. And if you look into all three of the synoptic gospels, the ones that are all <clears throat> kind of based on the same information, you know, John's is different than these three. But all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all report this in the same way, showing that this transfiguration on the mountain is what Jesus was referring to when he said, some standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the fulfillment. The miraculous transfiguration of Christ's body, and the Greek word for the word transfiguration is where we get our word metamorphosis. His body has been changed. That miraculous transformation of Christ's body excuse me, into his future glorified body and more was an experience given to the apostles 
the three apostles as a light at the end of the tunnel. It is where everything is going to end up. It is Jesus Christ in his risen glorified body with added power coming to reclaim the earth for those who have from those who have hijacked it for their evil purposes. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became bright white. You know, it's kind of like blindingly bright white. Standing there with two of the greatest Old Testament saints standing beside him who will be part of that kingdom. You have Moses, the great lawgiver of the first covenant, who led God's people out of slavery. And Elijah, the one in the Old Testament who's prophesied to come before the great day of God. Now, the Apostle Peter, in his second epistle, refers back to this mountain experience. It's in chapter 1 of Second Peter, verses 16 and 17, and he talks about this experience that he and James and John got to uh, be a part of. He says in verse 16, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's talking about that time when they saw Jesus transfigured. Verse 17, He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter, James, and John had a clear picture, a clear vision of the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's the brilliant light at the end of the dark tunnel. It's the glory that follows the suffering and the faithful following of Christ through difficult times. And one more thing about that transfiguration experience. I mentioned before that when Jesus said some standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, I mentioned that it sounded like Jesus' return would be in their lifetimes, didn't it? And that is the way probably most of us would have taken it if we'd been there. But Jesus did not say his return would be during their lifetimes. He said some of them would not die before they saw the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And you might even say, coming in his kingdom glory. And what they saw was Christ miraculously transfigured into his glorified body and then with power, with which he will return to defeat his enemies and set up his kingdom. So they saw Christ coming in his kingdom, and Peter affirms that in his second epistle, the two verses we just read. Now, in the last verses we are going to cover this morning, we will see something a little different. And as I read it, it kind of struck a little chord of humor to me. Have you ever been in a situation where you have this great idea that would help in some kind of circumstance, 
and you're telling someone about this great idea. And as you tell it, you're kind of excited because it seems to be the very answer that, you know, you're searching for. So you're just thinking how helpful your idea will be and how thankful others will be for your input or even your genius. But right in the middle of your explanation, your enthusiastic explanation, someone with a loud, commanding, show-stopping voice cuts you off right in mid-sentence, leaving you speechless. Not a pleasant thought, is it? But that's not the end of it. Not only does that person stop you in mid-sentence, totally silencing you as if what you said was totally unnecessary, not even worthy of listening to, But their voice is so startling, so commanding, it knocks you to the ground. And it not only knocks you to the ground, it leaves you face down trembling. Can you relate to that in some way? Well, now look at verses 4 through 9 of Matthew chapter 17. It says, you know, they're looking at that that uh, coming of Christ in his glory, that amazing transfiguration. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. This is Peter's great idea. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking... A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, most of us, you know, who have been in the scriptures know that the Apostle Peter is quick to speak. Even when he doesn't know what he's talking about, he's still quick to speak. So as he is witnessing this electrifying vision of Jesus in his state of powerful glory. He has no idea what to say. The other scriptures uh, recounting this say that Peter didn't know what he was talking about. But of course, that doesn't stop him from speaking, does it? And his great idea is to build shelters for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. That sounds kind and thoughtful and hospitable. It's like he wants them to stay. He wants to build shelters for them, to house them. And it's like he wants the kingdom now. You know, Jesus appears as he's going to be, as he comes to his kingdom. And Peter says, all right, let's go. But of course, Jesus' message is that suffering must precede the glory. That's what he's been saying to them. But Peter's great idea suggests he's ready 
He's already preparing for the glory. So as Peter is right in the middle of speaking his great idea, a bright cloud covers them and the Father speaks this stern message. He says, you know, he interrupts Peter mid-sentence. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God is saying to Peter, Listen, Peter, don't start forming your own plans. We have a plan. Listen to Jesus. Now, how do I know it was a stern command? because it knocked the three disciples to the ground in terror, face down. So then Jesus walks up, taps them, tells them to get up, and tells them not to be afraid. When they look up from the ground, there's no one there but Jesus. And then Jesus tells them not to tell anybody about it until he's been raised from the dead. As the disciples are down, face down on the ground, And they're shaking in fear. And Peter has this idea of building three shelters. And then they look up. After God has made that stern statement, listen to Jesus. They look up and it's only Jesus. So now they're back to reality. So what we have here, Jesus is transfigured into the brightness of God's glory and power. We have two of the greatest prophets of old standing next to Jesus. We have God basically telling Peter to shut up and listen when he tries to say what should be. That's not your role, Peter. It all speaks of God carefully laying out a plan for salvation and for the redemption of his creation. I sincerely doubt that it's how any of us would have planned it. I know it is not how I would have planned it, but it shows that God has had it planned all along, and it speaks of the suffering and of the glory to follow. That's the message of the Bible, or message all through the Bible. It's suffering and the glory to follow. And for us, it shows how completely trustworthy And completely wise God is as he carries out his plan to reclaim his creation. So, as we deal with this coronavirus, we have the sickness it may bring to ourselves or those close to us. We have the loss of jobs that may come. The shrinking of finances having to keep our distance from each other, not able to come together for worship or fellowship, the loss of major events or activities or celebrations that perhaps we've longed for, even the possible death of a loved one. But we know that in God's plan, glory comes after the suffering. And we know The brightness will come with the future glory, and that brightness will greatly outshine the suffering or darkness. Christ's victory over death was the greatest victory that could ever have happened, or ever could happen. 
We are a part of that future victory celebration through faith, through following Christ. So let us keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. For we, in one way or another, will be a part of his coming in the glory of the Father.